0: Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as my guest Bridget Cook Birch. Her clients call her a book whisperer. She's a legit multi time New York Times best selling author, Wall Street Journal best selling author. She's a mentor to writers, a trainer, a mama bear humanitarian, and she's a speaker who specializes in riveting stories of transformation. She's been on The Oprah Winfrey Show, Dateline, CNN, Good Morning America, The History Channel, and many other places. She's the CEO and co-founder of YourInspiredStory.com. I had the privilege of meeting Bridget in person in 2021 at a writing event called Scribe that was put on by Frank Viola. Uh, I, I appreciated her energy and her presentation, and she's been gracious enough to be on the podcast to help us think about how to tell great stories. Whether you want to write a book, whether you're a speaker, you can gain real wisdom by her process that she talks about, and we'll find out what it means to be a book whisperer. Some of her national bestsellers include books The Witness War Red. Shattered Silence, Skinhead Confessions, Leading Women, and also Leading Proof. She's going to challenge us to believe the power of our stories to change the world. She'll also tell you a little bit about some of the writer's retreats that she puts on. But you can find out more about her on yourinspiredstory.com or sheroesunited.org. If you find this episode helpful, please share it and please consider subscribing to my podcast. Let's move on to our interview. Welcome to the show, Bridget. It's so great to see you again.
1: Thank you, Brian. I'm so happy and honored to be here. It's great to see you again.
0: Well, thank you. And just to get right into the conversation, can you just sort of set up your, your career a little bit with us or for us by sharing some key moments in your personal or spiritual journey that uh, led you to your work as a literally a New York Times bestselling author multiple times and now a mentor to other authors?
1: well thank you i appreciate that well i i will tell you that um just like everyone i have a story everybody's got an extraordinary story and my favorite thing is to find out your story other people's stories but uh i have learned that i have to put my money where my mouth is and share my story from time to time so uh, i will share i had some pretty significant spiritual experiences when i was a kid and always had a deep and inexplicable yearning for God to have this closeness and connection. And, um, but as I as I began my my life journey, it was kind of funny, I, I grew up Catholic and I grew up in a Mormon town. And so I had these dichotomies of things that were always facing me. I was in college and I was working three jobs and going to school and just trying to make ends meet. And I was firely independent. And um, I ended up in the hospital, I had fissures and ulcers in my colon, I had a horrific infection. And my body was literally eating itself from the inside out. And, uh, and I was dying. And I knew I was in a lot of trouble. But it was when I heard two nurses outside in the corridor, telling me that I was not going to make it until morning, that I realized my time on the planet was going to be done. I I wasn't gonna be here anymore. And my mother had been praying like crazy. My father was a deacon in the Catholic church. He'd been praying like crazy. And I believe in intercessory prayers. Uh, I also believe that at that moment, my heart not wanting to be done, I just, I knew in that moment I had not fulfilled the measure of my creation. Had no idea what that was. I just knew I hadn't done it and I was very, very sad. Um, and then I had a miraculous, um, appearance in my hospital room where unconditional love was just so apparent, like every cell in my body was vibrating with his unconditional love. And, um, I was given information that one of the antibiotics they were giving me was killing me. I was allergic to it, but I had never had it before. So nobody knew. And I was told I was being given a second chance at life, this second chance to fulfill the measure of my creation and knocked my socks off. Yeah. Just totally changed my world. And especially it told the story that I was telling me about myself. And so I went off, um, was able to get out of the hospital within 24 hours on my own power uh, because of the information that I was given about that antibiotic. But it was being able to look into the mirror and see love there for the first time in my life. And then to be able to go out amongst humanity and no matter where I looked, I saw love in every person's eyes. And it completely changed the way I saw humanity. So. Uh, got to work with some gang kids in denver some high-risk gang youth and you know these were the kids that lived life in a box because mom and dad grandma and grandpa aunt and uncle everybody's a gang member and i saw what would happen when someone loved them enough to show them a different way and their perspectives would expand and when they could see even just an inkling outside of that box where uh, a promise, a promise of of hope, a promise of something greater within them, then some of them would take it. And that's when I fell in love with the human soul and writing stories of transformation. So I love love stories. I love happy ending stories. I love um, all kinds of stories, but my favorite stories ended up being transformational stories. So people living literally in the depths of hell but then coming out on the other side of their character arc being great servants great contributions to the world great and incredible leaders on the planet so those are my favorite stories
0: Wow, that, that, that is so much uh, to, to unpack there. I almost could just follow back up on that. But, I, you know, I love what you said about that, that moment of unconditional love, because I mean, I've not really to talk about my podcast, but I literally just got zapped with that. And I think I've had it before, but just like two weeks ago. And it just literally changed my whole perspective. I could see it on your face. And what a gift that you got when you were young and you've been able to bring that to your mission your whole life. and. You know, you now I love the title you have. You're a book whisperer, you know, and I'm going to guess some of our listeners have heard of like a horse whisperer or a dog whisperer. But what's a book whisperer and how does that link back to to what you just shared about stories of transformation?
1: I think, um, frankly, it's my clients that kept calling me that. So finally, I owned it. Um, But I can I can hear in people sharing with me their story and in their writings and i somehow get an intuitive sense of deeper things to pull out from them and can see patterns of rises and falls in their heroes and hero's journeys and recognize Oftentimes the places where they've been downplaying or thinking, oh, that's just normal. Doesn't everybody go through that? It's like, no, that's epic. <laughs> this gets to be brought out into the world. Do you realize how remarkable you are? And so that I think is the gift that came from theirs, recognizing um, that, you know, a lot of times, Brian, when we write a book, especially if we're, a minister or a leader or, or pastor or um, someone who has a tribe, we, we often kind of want to showcase this life that just kind of goes along. And then all of a sudden there's this, there's my climax. There's, there's this, this great thing that you need to see. And what oftentimes leaders don't understand is that it's the rises and falls that we all can identify with no matter who we are, that we can, um, you know, the circumstances are different, but the emotions are the same. And when we're leaders and we let our walls down and we show rises and true falls and even dark night of the soul, and then a real rise from that, then all of a sudden you have readers that wanna get behind you. You're creating more than just a story, it's your movement. They see why you're so passionate about what you're passionate about. And so, that's that's what has come from this is just this ability to see, you know, where people are not playing epic in their life and they're not writing juicy. As I know, you love that term, where they're not exposing all the beautiful, messy, and delicious nuances of being human, and what it's all about. If that makes sense.
0: It does make sense, and I think we're going to get a little bit into that, a little more into the weeds in that in just a, a minute because it's so it's it's so compelling. But I'm just curious. Do you have like a have you found a question that you ask a writer that just sort of breaks them out of the like you said? You just have this kind of I wouldn't say a boring story, but they're like when you sense they're holding back. Do you have a question you ask? Do you just sit and stare at them. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take your secret sauce, but do you have like a kind of a, almost a, like a a question that you just found tends to be, to really open a person up or at least crack them a little bit to, to get at what you sense is really within them.
1: Yeah. There's a couple of things. One is, you know, when people have been on this journey, they, they generally have learned so much that they come back with what we call the elixir of life and it's their secret sauce. And so I'll ask them, you know, what is your secret sauce? What is it that makes you unique and different? And why do you want to use this to help other people? And if they haven't told me the deeper stories, usually by that point, they will um, because it is their impetus, private or not, of wanting to share, wanting to help other people who've been, you know, going through what they're going through or prevent people from going through something that was hard and scary and dark. And yet they rose, you know, so um so that, and and oftentimes, too, you know i I've helped a lot of people with you know older um, gentlemen and women who want to leave a legacy. And sometimes it's just for their family, but sometimes it's for a bigger organization or something that they've built. And so they're writing their story and um, you know have a lot of them that want to just write down mostly the accolades and why they received it and and what that that was. The only thing is, is that ends up oftentimes being this dusty tome that doesn't ever get read, it just sits on the shelf. And so the question I say is, you know, do you want your grandson to look at you and go, wow, you know, grandpa, grandma did all these things. I can never be like them. Or do you want them to see where you fell and then you rose and where you fell again and where you rose and where you finally came to know yourself? in your strength and, and who you are. And so I often ask, what are the three greatest obstacles you have ever overcome? And how did you overcome them? All of a sudden, the book goes 20 levels deeper than usually what they were thinking of. And then they recognize that these other stories that they wanted to share are all built around those trifel cycles, what we call them, their rises and falls. And they recognize, I do have something more epic to share.
0: So good. And, you know, speaking of just writing, I mean, you went from being sick and in, in this compelling story where you essentially have your own kind of resurrection. Were you already writing at that time? At what point did you become a writer? Maybe what, who were some of the, maybe your favorite authors that inspired or influenced you and just, I'll just leave it at that. Talk a little bit about your influences, please.
1: Well, um, I had an English teacher from Mother. Oh. And um, she was not indulgent about, a lot of things, but she was incredibly indulgent about the amount of material that I could read. (laughs) I loved to read. So I had a lot of late library finds, but I I, I read out the school library, I read out the bookmobile, and then finally she let me go downtown to the city library and started reading that all out. And the librarians knew me by name. So I didn't really start writing until about junior high. I won a couple of awards for writing, but then I kind of put it away because, you know, I thought I had to have this professional career. And uh, in my professional career, I've done other things, PR, um, a phone book, ran a trucking company and uh, built that from a one truck wonder to 15 trucks and 55 trailers in my professional career. But my passion has always been in writing and uh, I had um, Lots of influences, but it's interesting that, you know, in third grade, I was reading things that people were supposed to be reading in high school, um, but they they affected me deeply. So, you know, I loved adventure stories and fiction and love stories. I also loved Christian stories about communist countries, you know, and yeah. and what they had to go through. Some of the the books that hit me hardest when I was young had to do with um, social justice and how we treat each other as humanity. You know, the diary of Anne Frank, I'll never forget what that did to me as a little girl and promises I made myself under the tree when I was reading them, that if I, as an adult, had choices to make, would I make a choice of courage instead of, of fear and cowardice? And um, really affected me more than I even realized. So so stories like that were really brilliant. And, and then because of my near-death experience, I've also, I have studied worldwide religions Mm -hmm. and worldwide near-death experiences and then just people's journeys so i have i I have too many authors to mention but i'll just say i i love the plethora of influences that i've had so that's been beautiful and i i would like to share one thing i had because it might be helpful for some of your listeners and that is um i was working on this book the witness war Red. And it was about the 19th wife of 65 women. And um, she'd been raised in this um, FLDS. So it was an extremist version of a of a religion. And um, uh, in this very tight society, it was, you know, they were never encouraged to have friends in the outside world. Um, They were supposed to just stay really tight knit and closed off. But there was a violin teacher in her past that her mother would permit her to go to because she was a violin virtuoso and she would go to this gentleman's shop and um he ended up being one of those people in the outside world that was so loving and supportive and compassionate that she, as she grew up, she said, they cannot all be evil on the outside because he's too good. Well, I had the opportunity to interview him when we were working on our book together and Rebecca went outside to make a phone call and Peter Pryor, the violin maker, He was shaving this beautiful back of a violin and smoothing and sanding. And as he did, so he looked out the window and there was construction that was taking place outside. And he said, you know, I had a choice of what I would do in my life. I could be one of these construction workers and there is so much honor in what they do. I'm grateful for them every day as I come to my shop, that there are beautiful roads here, that you know our, our society takes care of each other in this way. He said, but I had a choice to make. Would I be a construction worker or would I be a violin maker? And he said, I made my choice and I've been creating beautiful music ever since. And what he did not know at the time was that I was running a business as a trucking company owner and a partner and, um, and, uh, I was debating, you know, because here I was writing this book and loving every minute of it. And my books have been on Oprah and Dr. Phil and some of these other things, but you know, was I going to be a trucking company owner or was I going to be a writer? And in that moment, I chose that I was gonna live my passion. And it was not long after that, that I left my trucking company, started my year-inspired story, and I have not regretted a day of it ever since. And so I I just feel that when you're passionate about something and you've been naturally blessed with certain gifts, talents, and abilities, and others can be learned, because I've certainly learned a lot through the years is, you know, to let this, you know, supreme intelligence and beautiful force that is known by so many names um, that you and I call God, but to let God be a co-creator with you in your most passionate and beautiful life and don't discount your own story.
0: Uh, that, that's so powerful and it's it's just so interesting because i know that you use like the hero's journey stuff when you're teaching writing and they're you, in, in your own words you had that threshold moment when you you have a, a guy that tells you his story and then you cross that uh your own rubicon so to speak and uh, make that decisive move so is is what you just described that's what's that's what's epic writing is right you grab a hold of that and live into it could could is, is could you want to say any more about like this hero's journey or how that's a model or what makes a story epic?
1: Yeah. There's a famous quote in writing that says either write something worth reading or live something worth writing. Oh, wow. And I love that. And I tell my clients all the time, you know, live juicy so you can write juicy. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and funny. it's hard, especially the last few years with COVID. Like I have spent so much time behind this desk and and yet you know i'm um excited to do some humanitarian work in 2023 i'm going to italy to teach and ireland in 2022 regardless of of what we're facing just you know making those choices but i'm um uh learning how in my own life to choose epic instead of um playing small and and you know it's it's always the relationships it is always the relationships where the juiciest stories come from because in relationships, new people, new adventures, new terrain, new conversations, we learn more about ourselves than we do sitting at home behind a desk, you know, getting our work done. We still got to get our work done, so there's a, there's a balance, you know, live and write, you know, be the best father, mother, grandmother, grandfather, friend, husband, wife you know, servant as you can be and write. And there's a challenge in there, but it's a beautiful
0: challenge. That's so good. And, and that may just be the answer to the question I wanted to follow up with, which which is how does a writer herself or himself have to change to really write that way? And I, I don't know if that was the answer to that, or you would even say a little bit more, because like, you, you, you find when you're working with somebody that you can see the great book, I mean, they need to make that shift to this juicy epic style. Like, so what ways have you seen that a person needs to change? And maybe that's even part of your own story.
1: Yeah, I, I think, um, cause I've, I've usually been the one behind the camera, behind the computer, behind the pen. And, uh, uh, it's only been in the last few years that I think I've taken my own story seriously, um, I had an author who was giving me a thank you gift and it turned out to be a DNA kit. And she said, I don't think your own story is going to be done until you do this. Because she knew that I'd been adopted at six months and that I had kind of just put that on the shelf, you know, because I, I really honor my parents who raised me. They were incredible, beautiful, compassionate educated, loving people. They weren't perfect, but they were very, very perfect for me. And and I just oh anyway, so the thought of finding where I came from felt almost like treachery, you know, it Mm -hmm. felt disloyal to them. And uh, and that DNA test sat on my desk for months. (laughs) And uh, I, you know, in a story that I've been working on with a co-author, uh, I went back to Burlington, Vermont, and I stood on the doorstep of a killer. We didn't know if, if he was um, uh, mentally ill or if he was on drugs or both. We just knew that he was a killer, and um, I stood on his doorstep, had a getaway car behind, and a, and a, you know, a guard beside me. But I ended up interviewing him for seven and a half hours, and I was not nearly as terrified to meet him and interview him as I was to spit into this <laughs> DNA kit and wow. send it off. But that opened a whole new world for me. I've now found my birth parents, there has been story after story after story that I had hidden from, that I had been afraid to look at. I had been playing small and not epic in my own story. So now I share that as I'm teaching and um, everybody say, when are you gonna, when are you gonna write that one? And I, and I will, but I've been living it. I've been really present. I've been just being with the people in my new relationships, my mother, my father, and all of these glorious, I have all these new siblings. I have 89 new immediate family members. (laughs) That's crazy and and wonderful. But to answer your question, what we have to change, I don't think it's a matter of changing. I think there's two things. One, Brian is a matter of priority. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually when someone wants to write a book, it's it's keeping them up at night. You know, they have ideas. They're seeing other people's pain. They know they have a solution or solutions they know that um what they've been through can really serve someone else and they hear it from other people they just don't know how to put it down and so it's it's really making sure you get the right resources and you know talk to people who have written books talk to book coaches you know talk to someone about your story and what it can offer to the world and then you know um being that while you're being everything else but giving yourself permission to write when you can you know when i was working on the witness war red i was a single mom at the time with three young children all going to school and um and running a trucking company and a phone book and supposed to be writing this book but it was one of those social change um, enlightenment enlightenment books that to me needed um to help change a culture and to educate a nation and the world and it's done that it's it's has helped to dismantle uh, an organized crime unit in the name of god because of her courage rebecca mussers and so i knew it got to be written and what it took was a little element of sacrifice for a while so i would get up at 4 30 in the morning she and i would meet together we would pray and our children would still be asleep and I would interview her and we would write and we would finagle and we would do what needed to be done. And our kids would wake up and we would send them off to school and we'd go do what we needed to do for the day. So luckily I don't have to do that every day anymore, <laughs> but there are times, you know, where, where we might sacrifice a little bit of something. But um, one thing I'd love to share, Brian, is there's a difference between sacrifice and making sacred and what we did for that time was we made it sacred and it did not feel like a sacrifice like sometimes i was overtired you know and i have a picture that i still had my christmas tree up on valentine's day (laughs) because some of the things that didn't get done but the things that were so important did get done and i think your listeners know what that means you know
0: no, that was powerful and, and thanks for sharing that really personal story about yourself too because i mean that that's uh that's um at that this i mean that that's yeah just thank you for for that gift to all to all of us and uh you know one of my favorite prayers again we this is about you not about about me but I, one of the favorite prayers i like to use is um oh god help me believe the truth about myself no matter how beautiful it is and just sit with that and See what comes out to see what, uh, you know, what is there to share and what's the thing that I'm afraid of that might come up that, uh, is actually beautiful and you just shine it up a little bit. So, just thank you for sharing that. And I love this. that is a gorgeous prayer. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. It comes from a spiritual writer named Macrina Veter Care. So, but uh, I heard it, uh, at that, but so I will give her credit for that. But it's super powerful and, uh, for. Well, you sensed it, right? It's almost like a trick prayer, actually. It is a trick prayer. But I love this, the sacrifice versus making sacred. That's so a uh, beautiful way to talk about that. And I think it's going to help everybody listening now. Now, here's a question that obviously you could do your, your whole workshop probably is about this, but maybe you can just tease this out just a little bit. And I totally get that. It's an, an unfair question. It's kind of like asking me, Hey, Brian, what's the Bible about or whatever, but, <laughs> but so, but like what, what's, what's your general advice? You, you work with authors, I'm sure of a spectrum, um, like first-time authors, and then maybe four more seasoned writer, Do you, is there some things in common? Is there specifics that you get at? Can you just spend just a couple of minutes talk, giving some general advice um, on writing?
1: Yeah, um, I, you know, fiction and nonfiction are different. And I know you have both um, listeners, but probably more nonfiction. So I'll speak to that. Um, although I'll say to fiction, yeah, have fun. Be curious. Play with your writing. Enjoy that you know, and same thing with with nonfiction. With nonfiction, um, one of the things that I have found over and over and over again with both seasoned authors and also um, brand new beginners is that, you know, oftentimes we'll write our recollections and because they we remember them, they have significant meaning to us. They they have woven their threads through our tapestry, um, but we don't always see it as a whole. And so something that is just so significantly powerful is to have a timeline to give yourself permission. And it's really tough for writers that are like, I got deadlines. I got to get this out. I got to have the book done. Um, But I found on a scale of one to 10, if you give it a master 11, putting together a chronological timeline and you know both the left brain and the right brain like here's the dates when all of these things happened every rite of passage you know baptisms blessings this that the other marriages children being born you know those kinds of things but then the juicy right brain stories that go along with them and in between them and around them all of a sudden we move from recollections to seeing our patterns and our rises and falls in black and white right before us. And a lot of the things that we didn't wanna look at or that were scary to us, we're seeing now, and I get emotional about this, but then we also see our strengths, our perseverance, our ability to overcome You know, the many times spiritually or mentally or physically that we've been down and out and you know through help through our own tenacity through whatever it might be in our own individual stories where we were able to overcome and renew and renaissance and and rethink and and um you know a new iteration of ourselves but to give ourselves credit for all of those and i've even had i have this one woman martina and she just glows pink when I talk about her, but she's in her 70s. And she did this after working on her autobiography. And she said, I like me better now. I understand me better now. Because it wasn't just these different groups of stories. It was how it was all this beautiful tapestry of her life that was woven together when she reacted, when she made a decision about herself, when she went in one direction or another and and all of a sudden you know just full of love for herself and her journey and more for other people too because of recognizing you know the miraculous
0: i love that that that's that that's just that's fantastic advice can you say something about that this wasn't on the questions i sent you but to, to pull that off and then to write it down, I mean, it's one thing doing the drafts, but if you write a book, you got to edit over and over again. Do you How do you help somebody to fall in love with the editing process, which in a sense, your timeline kind of is a pre-edit, right? But that's that's where the work really is, right? You create a story and then you got to go back and rework It's a. what do you have advice for falling in love with editing, which is, I guess, the dirty secret of actually creating a great book? Right?
1: <laughs> it is, it is because you're right, it's where the work where a lot of the work really happens. Um, because you know, the first couple of drafts, we're figuring out what we're going to write, we're healing, We're we're, we're getting it together. And then we start writing for our avatar you know, who we're directing this message for precisely so that we can reach them. And it's work, you know, to to go back to take out the tangents to fill in the story holes, to make sure we're coalescing all these deep threads of meaning, and that it will be, you know, as meaningful or even more for the reader than it was for us in the writing and it takes work. But we'll tell you the magic is in the rewrite. Because, you know, those first couple of grueling drafts are like, wow, and it's, it's where people stop three feet from gold, because they're like, there isn't anything worthwhile in here. And it's taken me forever. And it's crap. And I don't like it, because we get sick of our own stories. But this is where I suggest that you not only like walk away from it for a couple weeks, come back and read the whole thing top to bottom with fresh eyes. As if you are a reader, you're going to see things right away, like, wow, I I didn't realize I left that out or wow, this is really good. (laughs) And you'll see some of those elements in there and and make it tighter and make it better. And then I recommend that you have a beta reader process where you send it out to just a small handful of people, two of whom do not know you and allow them to give you honest feedback you know for my authors i have a a template called help me read effectively but you have questions that you'll ask them and then you get this feedback back and what's hard is you know sometimes someone will read the feedback and they're like crap i've got to change my whole book you know, but you never change the book based on one author, one writer, um, reader's feedback. Instead, you look at the pattern of what are the five people telling me? Is there times two or more said, this is boring, or I had to put the book down. I had to go take the dog out. I had to, and it took me a while to get back to it, you know? Um, or are there places where they said, this is where I found myself in your story. Thank you so much. And you're like, okay, I'm going to keep this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this pace faster here i'm gonna you know make this principle stronger just depending on what kind of book you're writing but um feedback from a good five people that are not you know yes men or yes women saying brian yeah the whole thing is great thanks for letting me read it but didn't give you any feedback you don't want that you want someone that's going to give you real true honest feedback of what what they got out of it and then uh go going back in and making that can be difficult and so rewarding because you've done the hard work before you go to publishing there's a lot of people who've written and they didn't get any input on their books whatsoever and then they went to publish and then they get these reviews and they're like i totally missed the mark writing took me forever this sucks i'm not getting the reviews that i want you know and it it, that can be really painful Very few people have the ability to just, you know, download a book of great um, wonders and get it straight out without other input. It's good for us to get feedback. And so, you know, then doing that last rewrite and I tell everyone, please get an editor because we have so many options for publishing these days. But there are things that even the professionals, when it's our own work, we don't see. And so I always have my own work edited, and I learned some great lessons um, going on Oprah. <laughs> so, um, but I always have someone else edit my work. And I, it, it, whatever you're doing, if but if you're self or indie publishing, please, please be sure to have an editor look at your work before it goes to print.
0: That's uh, that's so good. And can you just say a couple things? Is writer writer's block a real thing? And what are some easy tricks to? Or if there's a trick to get yourself just to sit down and write
1: Yeah, writer's block is a real thing it plagues a lot of people it plagues nearly every good and great writer i know too um it it doesn't matter how far along you are but what matters is getting your butt in the seat and sitting you know and just continuing with the process uh when When you train your brain, you know, some of the things I do is, you know, I like to get some green tea. I like to sometimes write a candle. I have a playlist of music. I put myself in a a certain way and then I just get to it. That's telling my body and my brain. It is time for us to write and we're we're going to do this master brain work you know um one thing that a lot of people really do struggle with is that their left brain especially if you're analytical a numbers kind of person chronological very logical in nature your left brain probably overpowers your right brain Mm -hmm. so um that editor can sometimes get in there even your first sentence your first paragraph and then you were like gosh I sat down to write this juicy wonderful story and I can't even get it out. So I recommend that you tell your left brain, Hey, I've got a job for you to do. But after I write this story, I'm going to let you go back and edit it. But for right now, I'm not going to care if it's grammatically correct. I'm not going to care if everything is spelling and punctuated correctly. We're just going to go to town writing this beautiful story or this heart-wrenching story or whatever it might be. And then I'll let you go back and edit it. And so the left brain will be quiet for a little while because it knows you haven't forgotten it. And it knows it's gonna be safe because you're gonna let it edit. And then you use your right brain and you just get it all out. And then your left brain becomes your best friend because as an editor, it will help you make sure that you make sense of this beautiful, more emotional flowery piece of writing that has the tenderness or the Um, the beauty or the illustration to touch another person's soul, but you're also taking them somewhere. So uh, usually writer's block has to do with just being blocked in one or the other of those categories. So giving yourself permission is important.
0: That's, that's so good. And everybody's listening. We all, we all can see what it get called a book whisperer. Cause you just made that sound so good. And it's even like, just, it's almost like a spiritual practice. Then it's just like, if you have a rhythm for your life, you create the environment and then it flows out. So, so thank you. That was, that was really powerful. And to be fair to, our, to, to your time, I'm going to move to the kind of the quick questions I'd like to ask at the end. Again, thanks for, uh, for being my guest. And I always love to ask folks, like, what's, what's next for you? Is there a book that you're actually afraid to write that you're trying to get to come out now? <laughs>
1: Well, I'm, I'll tell you, I've got a beautiful book of of international significance called Divine Turbulence, wow. and it's about a gentleman whose um, parents were murdered uh, on a U.S. Army base in, um, in Germany, uh, murder-suicide, and he went from the frying pan into the fire into a, a den of abuse, and he had to decide at one point if he would be a bitter man or a better man because of it. Mm-hmm he ended up um, becoming an artist and a sculptor. And he sculpted the monument called the Statue of Responsibility, which was Victor Frankl's dream that the United States would have a statue of liberty on the East Coast and a statue of responsibility on the West Coast. And Gary Lee Price has become the sculptor for the Statue of Responsibility. And so his book is gonna be out this year. And um, in 2022, and I am I could not be more thrilled and the story that I am most afraid to write is my own story. So um, just like your your listeners, um, I have to make it a priority and give myself permission to be epic and to um, And then just to make sure that I have time. So uh, one of the things that I'm doing as I'm working on my 2022 calendar is putting in specific times to write and specific times to work on my own story and give myself permission that, yes, I have these other deadlines. Yes, I have clients. Yes, I have things that get to be done and I can be a priority. I haven't always been a priority in my own life. So this is new for me. It's good for me.
0: It's good, good. Do you have um, like daily rhythms or spiritual practices that allow you to be who you are and to really continue to hone? I mean, that wonderful experience that you had and on literally on your deathbed that made you feel loved do you? How do you keep centered on that? Do you have practices that you do?
1: Well, I'm a little maybe unusual compared to some, but um, where where I feel most connected to Christ and to God is when I'm talking to other people and Mm. when I'm listening to their stories. Yeah. Um, there is a sense of worship in that for me. And when I don't let that go, it's something that permeates my whole life and my whole, um, joy. And so that is a form of worship for me. And um, I love to go out in nature. I have lots of different spiritual you know, writings, biblical and um, reflective, meditative, that I enjoy little bits at a time. And then I love to ponder them in nature whenever possible. And um, I am um, uh, doing some of those in yoga as a, as a form of prayer. You know, and I had never thought of yoga as being prayer, but it is prayer and movement. And so that form of um, meditative movement as I think about these scriptures or um, ponderings, it's, it, um, it's embodying some of the things that make life important to me.
0: That's so good. I'd have to say, and you know, we met once in person at, a, at an event, but there was 50 or 60 people there. But I do remember, even though it was a lot of people, but even the way you spoke with me, I sensed that you were really listening deeply. And so I, I can, I can see how that's a spiritual practice for you. Cause that really impressed me when I met you and I watched you move around and spend a little bit of time with, I don't, I don't know if I talked to everybody, but I just, I noticed that about you. So I think that's, um, I, I, I didn't realize that was a spiritual practice, but I definitely see how you do that. And that was, um, that, that spoke to me. I remember that. So, that was awesome. I love that. What about books? And I know this is the impossible and you've been reading since you were a kid and you were a great reader. So if you're just going to pick two or three books that have really shaped you deeply, personally, or spiritually, uh, and I usually say other than like, say the Bible or whatever, but if you want to use that, you can, but what would be a couple of the books that have really impacted you powerfully over the course of your life?
1: Well, I definitely would say the Bible for sure, Um, not as an out, but just because um, it is filled with stories, it is filled with epic stories, you know, that help us to remind and when we liken ourselves to the people in the stories. Is what we're doing as 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 writers now is creating stories that that other people would liken themselves to us to be able to learn from, you know. So, I, I learn from that every day. The biblical, um, I you'll crack up, but one of uh, it was a series of books by C.S. Lewis. And um, there was the sacred in the ordinary and the magical in the momentary and um, and to just to recognize deep values. And um, Christianity in a <laughs> that that was disguised and undisguised in such beautiful ways. Anyway, um, what I have loved about that, and it it um, colored my world from that day forward with anything I read, and that was, um, you know, that that when we're passionate about creation, when we're passionate about sharing, that um, that the ultimate message comes through, no matter what and that there there can be great um, contribution and value in stories. You know, uh, I struggle a little bit in today's society because there are a lot of themes of destruction, a lot of themes of um, that people and humanity and value systems are not important. And and I worry sometimes for, you know, uh, people growing up and being educated by those particular things because i just think about um not in a judgmental way but just in kind of a a a sad and a longing way that they could also learn from you know deeper stories of transformation and of hope and of healing and um, connection and community so uh, these are the stories that i find today When I find them that I just love them, you know, stories of overcoming, um, stories of spiritual connection, stories of transformation. So there are a lot and it would be it. It's hard for me to mention, but maybe I could send you a list. (laughs) Um, But I yeah, there's there's a lot. There's been um, a few beautiful ones lately on forgiveness, themes of forgiveness that have been really um, Christian forgiveness, forgiveness across the board. Um, there's a a woman that wrote a book called um, how to forgive what you can't forget and um, that was from a Christian perspective and I felt that that was so valuable for so many people and uh, um, oh I've just read so many good ones a really great memoir of overcoming is called um, educated by Tara Westover and that's been a very, very good one. It, it reminds me a little bit of The Witness War read, just because of the, the difficulties faced in childhood and teenage years and the upbringing and the overcoming of beliefs to the point of breaking out and absolutely choosing to, um, to have a spiritual independence and a, a religious independence and a loving independence and a, a brilliant mind, especially for a young woman. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I think I saw her get interviewed on Oprah last year or so about that book. I do remember um, listening to her interview, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's a great, that's a great book. And that is the impossible question if you keep reading all the time, because it's like, it's like, what's my favorite book today or whatever. So it's that's so good. Well, last yeah. question. Uh, I'm. If if folks want to reach out to you, um, I mean, obviously I'm going to list all the books that you've written and these books you're recommended, but if they want to find out more about your work, your role as a book whisperer, the writing retreats you do and get in contact with you, what would be the the easiest way to find you, Bridget?
1: The easiest way is on our website and it's yourinspiredstory.com. So just yourinspiredstory.com. It lists our events, ways to contact me. Um, You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. Uh, But yourinspiredstory.com would be the smartest way. And I would love to hear from you and uh, get a chance to get to know you and your epic stories.
0: Well, uh, Bridget, this has been really helpful for me personally in in ways that I may tell you if I have a second after we're done. But uh, I, I know those by the folks that I work with that listen to the podcast and other pastors and just people I haven't even met yet that are listening. This was awesome. So grateful for the way that God has used you and that you've again so, sort of surrendered into this um, this calling that you have out of joy and that how you really serve others and you've captured you're, you make you make your you've got that ability of what the great teacher is uh, that you're you're consciously competent so you you know what to be how what greatness looks like and you're actually able to explain it so somebody can follow along with you instead of just being blown away by you know how good of a writer you are so thank you for just sharing us some morsels today that was a real wonderful conversation
1: Thank you, Brian. I've appreciated it. And and I will say the world is hungry for leadership right now, Mm -hmm. hungry for conscious, loving, compassionate, um, you know, inclusive leadership. So I'm delighted with the work you're doing. I just think it's wonderful. And, And for you and the people that you work with, thank you for being the leaders you
0: are. And thank you, everyone, for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please share it with friends through your social media networks, as well as leaving a review to help other people find it? If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned, please check out the show notes. And let me again remind you, if you're interested in contemplative practices, my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life, is now available in paperback or on Kindle. Recommend ordering it off of Amazon. If you want to do a large order, I would reach out directly to Paraclete Press. Ask for Sister Estelle, and you can get some deep discounts if you're interested in buying say any quantity over the, of at least three or more copies, you can get good discounts directly from Paraclete. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you, and we'll see you next time.